Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. We'll talk to you a bit tonight about sacred space. Um, one of the reasons is that uh, it's in our launch video. And I want to explain what I mean by it because it's becoming more and more important to me. I also want to say in the context of that, a big thank you to the, the team up here because um, I am asking them to go in a certain direction and um, produce certain things mostly at my request, um, uh, because I think it's important for where we're heading. So I, I, I greatly appreciate that, because um, um, we, we have come through a birthing process for something that we weren't, that we now are. And in that now, it's time to grow, and it's time to push forward, and we're doing that. The other good thing is, uh, or you might not think it's a good thing, I'm not traveling again until we go to India at the end of January. So. So we've got, um, we've got a good three months to, to, to crack on with this and, um, and develop the things that I think are really Im- important um, for us. Um, there was something else I was going to say, and I can't remember what. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Next week as well, I need to say this now before I forget. Next week, we're going to have communion. A bit like we did at the launch with, um, with Pull Up A Chair. And... Um, uh, I want to talk next week about speak life, about speaking life. So I have a reason for wanting to talk on this sacred spaces issue from our, our video um, for reasons that hopefully will become obvious as we just um, talk along. I want to use two illustrations first just to grab your, your attention and your focus. How many have ever, have ever seen, seen the sunrise? Well, what if I were to tell you it's not true? That you have never seen a sunrise, nobody that you know has ever seen a sunrise, everybody that you don't know has never seen a sunrise. And whether you live in the east, the west, the north, or the south, you have never seen a sunrise. Now, to say that you saw the sunrise is an accurate description of what appeared to be reality, but it is not true. What was happening to, to, to form that scenario is movements that you do not sense and are not aware of, but are nevertheless happening all the time. So because the earth rotates on its axis, and because it also flies at incredible rate of knots, now we're traveling at thousands of miles an hour around the sun, we are not consciously aware of that, but that is the movement that is happening outside of our attention that produces an image that we call a sunrise, but our reflection on that causes us to say something that actually is an accurate assessment, but it is not actually true. Let me give you another illustration. If we go out tonight and the skies are clear, we look up in the sky, and uh, what do we see? We see the stars. The problem is that what you're seeing doesn't exist at this moment. 
So you're familiar with the fact that when you see a star, stars are various distances away from the Earth, which we determine, uh, determine as light years. A light year means that it, if it takes light one year to travel that distance, that's how far the star is before you see it. So when they talk about certain stars that we see being a thousand light years away, what you see in the sky or think that you see happened a thousand years ago. So therefore, what you think you are seeing in the stars, what you think you are witnessing with the sunrise, there is truth beyond what you think that you see. And if you don't grapple with the truth that's beyond what you think you see, you'll never live in a place of truth, only the place of illusion. And Jesus called us to live in a place of truth. Now, I don't just mean that in the sense of, well, I've got to just air my dirty washing and, you know, I mean, Jesus didn't talk about the truth that would make you feel bad. He talked about the truth that would make you free. So in all the movements that we see, that not, is not giving us an accurate picture of what we need to embrace if we're going to live in the place of, of truth. Now, the Celts. The Celts were the people who... Uh, initiated the bringing of what we know as the, the Christian gospel to these shores. And um, in the Celtic spirituality, they used to talk about thin places. And what they meant by a thin place is the Celts believed that the distance between this world and the next world, the natural and the spiritual, the earth and what they would know as the heavens, they said was only three feet. Or if you're a newly modern person, a little bit less, about 950 centimeters. What, what they were trying to convey is that most of us are disastrously unaware of how close the unseen and the seen are together. Now, you might say, well, I don't believe in the unseen, but we've already shown, even by the simple uh, rules of physics, that our perception of the sunrise is incorrect. Our perception of seeing a star tonight is incorrect, because it's not tonight, and the sun didn't rise. There are things, so, so there is a realm that I want you guys to be aware of, that we are majoring on, the realm of spirit, the realm of heaven. When Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done, as in earth, so in heaven, or as in heaven, so in earth, I want you to be very aware of that because when the Celts talked about thin places, there were places that they felt you were so close to the unseen, so close to supernatural, so close to miracle, that you could either touch it or that it would touch you in those places. So sites that we have like Iona and places like that were built where they were because that was the Celts' belief. Now, I believe that sacred space is that place where heaven and earth collide. I don't have a formula for it because that would then be about what you did. If you do this, this and this, this will happen. But I just know that there are spaces where heaven and earth collide. Just like an atomic explosion is how it's experienced in your life, how it's been experienced in my life when heaven and earth suddenly collide. 
Sacred space is the place we stumble upon where we say, oh wow, that's amazing. There are far too times, too, too few times, that most of you, and maybe me also included, are coming to the point of saying, wow, that's amazing. This should not be simply a gathering of human beings on a Saturday night. It should be somewhere where in our heart of hearts we are looking for a sacred space where heaven and earth collide, where whatever age we are, whatever we're going through, whatever our experience, whatever has happened to us, somehow now there is hope of something beyond ourselves and outside of ourselves stepping into our world and changing everything. It should leave us with a sense that we just met God face to face. In a thin place, there is an immediacy of experience where words of faith become words of life. Or in other words, you just went from, well, I think I believe in God and, you know, I kind of know that God loves me to some sense of it's now become words of life. Something in here is beginning to explode. Something came alive. And in this hallowed space and time of heaven and earth, they are for a moment one. It's like somehow you're no longer here in the middle of your problem, but somehow you found a space where space and time and heaven and earth collide and it makes a moment. There are a lot of examples in in the Bible. I'm not going to go reading lots of scriptures to you, but I could, but I'll tell you where they are. Of what I would call sacred space. The guy called Abraham in the Old Testament had so many instances of this. He one time had been out to rescue one of his family members, and when he came back, a guy met him. All he knew was this guy was called Melchizedek, and he knew him as the, the king of Salem, the king of peace. But this guy came out of nowhere and disappeared back into nowhere, but he was very real in Abraham's life. In fact, by the time they come to record this in the New Testament, it says that he had no beginning and no ending. Or in other words, it's one of those experiences, and I've had them, where somebody turns up and disappears. You don't know where they came from, and you don't know where they went but suddenly into your life comes a moment where heaven and earth collide and you go, wow, that was amazing. Now some of you say it's never happened to me. Well, the point is it can and it should and we've got to try and press that it must happen for you in your life. Abraham had it when God made covenant with him and God put him to sleep and he had a moment and suddenly when he wakes up, God's taken care of everything and given him a, a promise that cannot fail because God made it with himself and simply made Abraham the beneficiary. He had it in the whole incident of Sodom and Gomorrah and there's a story for you where people turn up to help him. And then if we move on, we find guys like Jacob And Jacob's a fugitive, he's on the run, he can't make sense of life, he doesn't know what to do next. And uh, in his disappointment and in his his running, he finishes up in the desert. And I, I love what it says, it says he took a stone and put it there for a pillow. It's like, you dumber, what the, what is, took a stone. Here's the point, the Bible's trying to sell us allegorically that we create most of our own discomfort. Do you get that? 
He put his head on a stone for a pillar. We create most of our own discomfort. But somehow in the night, he had this experience where he saw the heavens open and a stairway. And coming, going up and coming back down on the stairway, he saw angels. Now, I wasn't there. That's what he saw. And he said he saw the Lord above it. And God began to speak to him and it revolutionized the whole direction of his life. You say, well, was that real? Was that not real? Actually, it was real, but the issue is not, was it a real ladder? Was it a real, was it a real stone? Was it, the issue was it was real because in that moment he knew that heaven and earth had collided and he, he had met God. And it was so profound that he did the mistake that many people do. He said, ah, oh, He said, I've stumbled on the gateway to heaven. This is the very house of God. Now, it wasn't, it's just a desert, okay? The next guy walking through there is just going to see dirt and rocks. But the problem is, you see, we want to make that particular place the meaningful thing. Let's build a cathedral here because when actually, no, it was never about that. It was about you and God having a moment where heaven and earth collide and life radically changes because something happens supernaturally and spiritually beyond you. Let me do one more. Acts chapter 9 is <coughs> the story of a guy called Saul of Tarsus who's persecuting Christians. And uh, he gets knocked off his donkey. There's lots of jokes you could put in there, but it's not appropriate for everybody. See me afterwards if you, if you want another. But he sees the light from heaven. He falls off his donkey. And he hears a voice speak to him and say, why are you persecuting me? And, and it's a revelation of Jesus because he's been persecuting the Christians. And whether you accept it or doubt it, It was so profound that it says Saul became blind by the light and had to be led into the town to meet a guy called Ananias, which incidentally means God is gracious. So the one who he was persecuting, he meets a man who is God is gracious, who God has already spoken to, who said, I've been waiting for you. God told me about you. He prayed for him, laid his hands on him. Paul was radically changed felt a spirit come inside of him, which was the Spirit of God, and changed his name. So the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, this guy called Paul, used to be called Saul, but this sacred place experience made him change his name because he became a radically different person, totally transformed, which he would not have done had it not been real because it set him up for a lot of trouble and persecution. There was a reality in this, this moment that transformed Paul. And then there's me. I haven't written most of the New Testament. <coughs> I haven't got the notoriety of Abraham or had a nation named after me like Jacob. It's all right. So, it's okay. The guys are there with it. Don't worry about that. But I had the same encounters that have revolutionized and changed my life. Moments that were radically revolutionary because heaven touched earth. I, I can only share one with you tonight. But some years ago when I was really struggling, not into two different pasts, about God, 
if you still want me to be in ministry, if you still love me and you still call me, what kind of thing do you want me to build? And I fell asleep. And in my sleep, I began to have a dream. And in my dream, I saw a building that was unfinished. And it had four towers on one end that were gothic in their style that were really strange, just like something otherworldly. And then there were four other towers that were extremely modern. And then there were four other towers that were very smooth. And I went into the building. Connie was with me in the dream. I went into the building, and when I looked up, there was no roof. So there were these, these, these 12 towers and no roof. And I'm in the dream looking at this, but I'm absolutely blown away because this thing is so diverse, it's like, it's like one thing, but lots of different expressions. And so I wake up from, from my sleep. I went into the kitchen, I put the TV on. And there on the TV, I'm looking at the building that I just dreamed about, that I had no idea existed. That building was La Sagrada Familia, the cathedral designed by Anthony Gaudi that's still being built now, 150 years later. And his dream was to build a building that would tell the story of God for all generations and give a revelation of the real work of the church. And so it has a Gothic end where the whole creation story is built. It has a crucifixion end where you have very modern sculpture. It has other aspects to it. But when I dreamed it was the time when all of those towers weren't finished, just the ones that I'd seen. And from inside the building, when they went in with the cameras and looked up, there was no roof. This was the very building that I had seen in that moment. What was it? It was God in a thin place, saying to me, this is the kind of church I want you to build. This, this is what it looks like now. Let me show you a little video. Because this is what I saw, and then this is what it is becoming, but it's not yet finished. Now, it wasn't that God was telling me, I want you suddenly to become an architect and build in York, a building like that. But what God was saying to me was all this diversity, this strangeness, this difference that reflects so many different styles and so many different attitudes and so many different versions and diversions is what I want you to build. It was a moment that God began to lift my spirit and encourage me at a moment when I needed strength to move forward to know God is with me. God knows what he's doing, and he has invited me to partner with him in that process. Now, in that, I need your help, because that is what we are building. Let me tell you something about this building before I just move on with a few comments. The architect who now is in charge of the production of these shapes, see these weird cones and all that kind of stuff, this, this building was architecturally a hundred years ahead of its time. Now, that's not my view. That's the architects who will reflect. You can, you can watch on YouTube, said, Anthony Gaudi was a hundred years ahead of his time. Why was he a hundred years ahead of his time? I'll tell you why, because he was in a thin place where he didn't just want to build a building that said, God is mighty. He wanted to build a building that expressed the goodness and the kindness of God in reaching humanity and realized that to do that, it would have to be diverse and different in so many ways. And so the guy who is now the lead architect 
on this project said the only way that we could find the technology to build some of these things that Gaudi had imagined, and Gaudi also created models of these things before he died because he knew he would never finish it. And Gaudi, great architect he was, used to wander around with trousers with a piece of string in and a tatty old shirt because he couldn't be bothered with anything else. He said, I'm about God's business. So was the thin place that taken hold of his heart in what he was producing for people that this magnificent thing was coming from that. And it can come from any of you. But the only way, he said, we've been able to design this, he said, we looked at the shapes that Gaudi drew a hundred years ago, and the only place that we could find technology for us to build them now was in the aeronautics industry. So he said, we are having to use the latest computer technology from the aeronautics industry in order to produce what Gaudi understood and knew how to build a hundred years ago. See, when you get a revelation in a thin place, not only will it change your life, but what it will empower you with and will equip you with will put you a hundred years ahead of your peers. It will give you dreams and abilities that far exceed your own human frailties or the limitations of your own intellect. That's what was happening with Anthony Gaudi. I can't claim to be as bright as him, but I know I've been in those thin places where God speaks to the life and revolutionizes the life, and I have been privileged to find some of those thin places. Maybe they found me but they've been found. Not because I'm special, because they're there. And so that poses some questions when we look at this. Are there things that I can do to maximize the possibility of finding or being aware of sacred space? Well, I don't think there's anything you can do in the sense of if I become more holy, because you're going to fail at that. Uh, if I become more knowledgeable, because how much knowledge qualifies you, you know, if I do more God things, if I can recite more Bible verses, I don't mean do in the sense of that. What I mean is that some of you have developed the idea from what you think you've heard that you are enough and you have enough, and that's your problem right there. That you are enough and you have enough, and if you're not enough and you don't have enough, it's all just more about self-awareness and self-development. And some of you think that's what you've heard in where we've been going on our journey. We were raised with the verse that scared the daylights out of me. It was, beware your sins or we'll find you out. Ugh. Yeah, be sure. Yeah, sorry, be sure. Sounds like Yeshua. Be sure. Your sins will find you out. Well, well let, me tell you, let me tell you what I, I believe. That if you think that, that you're enough and you have enough, life will find you out. Not your sins, life will find you out. Because unless you have a greater solution to life than just trying to deal with it with the resources that you have, you will not succeed because life will ultimately find you out. The happiness you want, the relationships you're looking for, the success that you desire will not come by all that natural, natural means. The deal is we all need something bigger and someone bigger as part of who we are. 
I, I think sometimes I've failed a little in recent years because of the journey in trying to dismantle some other things. In helping you to realize that God is here with us, but he is still bigger, and he is still greater, and he still has more resource, and he does have more power, and it's not about how much you can improve your own self-worth, it's about how much can you lose yourself into his worth and find that thin place, because when that happens, heaven and earth collide and something happens that you were not expecting. You get a wow moment. We were never meant to live life alone. None of us are designed to live life alone. And particularly, we were never designed to live life without God, without the divine, without the spiritual happening in our life. Why? Because we need that interaction between that veil that separates the spiritual and the natural, that separates heaven and earth. We need to live life flowing through that veil and back again. And it's there for you just as much as it's there for me. We've stated our position in in the video that we produced for you, that God is already in you. But if he's like a pill that you swallowed that remains unabsorbed in the gut, it's doing you absolutely no good at all. So yes, God is in you, but it doesn't help you unless you allow the God in you to be absorbed into your very being, and then what has been put inside of you begins to impact you. That's why pills are in those little capsule things, because it's supposed to go into the gut and then be broken down and absorbed so that your whole body takes it in. My, my question would be, is your spirituality such that God has become the pill that you know is inside of you, but it never affects you because you refuse to absorb what the pill is all about? See, we all need to receive. We all need to learn. We all need to learn what it means to be subject to rather than master of. Everything in life is saying, be the master of your own destiny. Be the master of your own circumstance. Be the master of your own life. Be the master of anybody that tries to overrule you. You are the boss. Be the master of everything. And we've got the world that that attitude produces. We have to learn again, if we're going to live in thin places, how to be subject to rather than master of. How do I subject myself to this dad of Jesus, this Abba of Jesus, this God of Jesus, to where in my surrender to the fact that I need something greater than what I have, that that will begin to break out within me and change my whole life, my mind, my understanding, and yet yeah, my future. See, the God that we invent tends to have more traits of the God of the Old Testament than the dad of Jesus. So when we're full of ourselves and we say, well, yeah, I believe in God, usually the God that we believe in looks more like the Old Testament God because we don't forgive and we don't release and we're not faithful and we're not loyal and we're not forgiving and we're not kind, and we're not generous. Why? Because that's the God we then reflect, because we've created that God. But you see, when we really 
allow the Abba of Jesus, the Dad of Jesus, to be the model, and we don't try and recreate one, and what we look for is an experience of him, that's when those moments come that heaven and earth collide. We all need to find that place called sacred space. All of us need to find that place that's called sacred space. The reason some of you have a a dead Christianity and a dead spirituality is because you are not looking for that sacred space. You've taken it on just like some external thing. Well, I'm a Christian, I wear this, I go to church on Saturday, whatever. If that's all it is, then it's going to fail you. But when we start saying, I need to find that place called sacred space, for it's there that we see God in ways that we would not have otherwise seen God. It's fascinated me how that has happened in my life. Even as a young, young guy, 13 years of age, trying to figure all this out, desperately wanting to find God. And I've had those moments in my life that have been really profound and absolutely true. Chris first walked through the doors of our little building across in Wilton Rise in Holgate when she was 11 years old. And I was 13. And in my spirit in that moment, as clear as I stand before you today, God said to me, that's the girl that you will marry. Now I'd like to say, and I immediately fell head over heels in love with her in that moment, and she with me. But that wasn't the point. The point was heaven and earth had collided and something was being determined. And as we flowed in our lives and that brought us together and made us one because of those interactions. You say, I wish I could hear stuff like that. The point is you can and you need to and I'm encouraging you to look for that. It's called sacred space where heaven and earth come together and you hear something that is radically true that you could not have known by natural sight. Just like the sunrise and the stars, what you think you're seeing, you then get a revelation of what is beyond that. And that's where the life-changing power begins to come. We all need to find that place called sacred space. Now, you you don't create a sacred space in the sense of, well, if I get me a Bible and a a crucifix and some candles, and, uh, you know, depending where you're, a picture of Mother Teresa or, you know, I don't know, whatever. People have done all kinds of things to, to try and create sacred space. And that creates a religious space, but not a sacred space. And very often what happens to us in that is a sense of inadequacy. I can never be as good as. I'm not capable. And all those things that then we feel that the only thing we can ever do before God is tell him how terrible we are and how sinful we are and how sorry we are and how horrible we are. That's not a sacred place. That's a hellish place. It's a place of condemnation and judgment. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. So the sacred space that comes to us in Jesus is a life-giving space. It's not about making us feel condemned. It's about lifting the spirit and lifting the heart to say, do you know what? I had no strength, but now I feel strong. I was afraid, but now I'm at peace. 
I felt incapable, but now I know that I'm able. Why? Because there's something inside of me, the movement that's taking place, instead of me seeing with the natural, now I'm experiencing what comes in that wonderful sacred space. You don't create it, but you do find it. What I like about that is, you know, wherever I am, let's take, for example, Saturday night, I can come in here looking to find sacred space. You say, was it on that pew? Is it that pew? Is it back there? No, it's not a particular pew. It's a place where suddenly for you, when you come in here, heaven can touch earth. You can go out totally different. You can go out with an understanding, a revelation, a word, a concept that you receive because heaven touched earth. Why? Because you were looking for sacred space. I've started to look again for sacred space. I stopped for a long while because I was trying to work through what my understanding of God was and my feelings of God and, uh, and who I was and what I felt that God had called me to in life. And, uh, uh, but I'm looking again and it's scary. I don't mean scary in the sense of I'm really terrified like a ghost, whatever, but scary in the sense of it's so real it's pretty scary. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago and they were telling me a story and I was conscious of somebody sat behind them but there was nobody there. And the person sat behind them was talking over the person in front and was telling me what this person really should be telling you is this. But what you're hearing is only their perception. They're explaining how they've seen the sunrise. But I'm explaining to you what's happening now. That gets pretty scary in some ways because it means there are a lot of things that you know are truth and are revealed. So be afraid. Be very afraid. It's never in a condemning or judgment way. It's always because God in those thin places is even trying to help us when we don't know how to help ourselves. And you might say, why did it seem that God told that person about my life? Because God is wanting to help us in arenas that we won't help ourselves. It's the thin places. And I'm looking again for those places and finding them. And that's how you find them when you look for them. Suddenly, they're there. Jacob didn't go, okay, in the desert, I think it might be over there. It just happened where it happened because it was his desire that was working. Me explaining to you the mechanics of thin places will not help you. Because this thing springs from desire. Not from me explaining mechanics. If you desire to find the thin places, I'm going to tell you something, you will find the thin places. And heaven and earth will collide and you'll say, wow, it was just like, I, I might be wrong, I don't know, can you help me? But it was like I just met God face to face. And I long for all of you to experience that. So that we're a group of people who can build the Sagrada Familia, the sacred family. Do you understand what that means? The sacred family, Sagrada Familia, the sacred family, building a sacred family because we found a sacred space. And when we all find sacred space, we become a sacred family, not a religious family, but a family who say, wow, it's amazing. We met God face to face. And he's helping us 
so we can help you. One last thing, Psalm 91. I'll read it from the old King James Version. says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, listen to me. All of us live life under a shadow. Whether it's the shadow of our past, the abuses we suffered, the disappointments that we had, or the religious restrictions and, and, and demands, or the rejection, or the fact that we never felt that we belonged because mom and dad split up and felt it was my fault and never quite fitted in and then mum remarried or dad remarried and I was in this home but this wasn't my dad and this was my mum and all those experiences, every, every one of them, the failures in our lives, sometimes the stupid things that we did, that they, they cast shadows over our lives. Every one of us lives under a shadow and the light of life will always ensure that the shadow will follow you. But what God is saying about this is that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, what's he talking about? If you find the sacred space, because it's kind of secret, but not secret in the sense that I'm not going to tell you where it is. It's secret in the sense you can't see it. Just like behind the sunrise, the secret is the earth is flying around the sun and the earth is rotating. It's not really a secret, but it kind of is a secret because it's not what you see naturally. But when you live in that secret place and you have an understanding and a concept, it becomes a big universe, a big world. So the psalmist says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. If I'm going to have to live under a shadow, which I am, I'd rather choose the shadow that I'm going to live under. And I believe the experience of the guy who wrote this psalm that says you can live life under the shadow of the Almighty. When you live life under the shadow of the Almighty, it means that you are resting in that shadow of the Almighty, not stressing under the shadow of death. So you're either going to stress it or you're going to rest it. Most of us are stressing it and think we're resting it, but the only time we're resting it is when the thing that's stressing it is not so bad. That's not resting. But there's a place that you can step into. It's called the secret place of the Most High. It's called a sacred space. And in that space, it says the shadow of the Almighty is over you. The shadow of the Almighty. Everywhere you go, shadow of the Almighty. That means almighty. Did you get that? Almighty. There's all the power, all the strength, all the wisdom, all the help that you need to make it and to make it good. When you find that sacred space, what comes out of it is what the psalmist said. He said, the one who dwells in the secret place of the Most High rests under the shadow of the Almighty. He says, and I will say, I will say 
of the Lord. I will say of the Lord, he is. Now, I like that terminology. Not he has been, he was, or he will be. But he is. When you find this place, you say, he is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my health. He is my power. He is my memory that I need to pass this exam. He is the wisdom that I need to solve this problem at work. He is the revelation that's necessary for my relationship to come alive again. He is, and it's all in that shadow of the almighty sacred space. Do you know what, guys? We could, we could make this a sacred space every time we come. If our desire is something bigger something greater, something more. I, I, think, I think heaven breaks through that hole that we poked in the thin place and it starts to push through and we start to feel a hand touches and it's the hand of God. And suddenly now something's coming into our life that we didn't have before and it's changing us and it's revolutionizing us. Listen, if our spirituality, our Christianity, our faith doesn't do this, I for one am not interested at all. And I want to draw you back to that place to desire, to expect, to believe, to receive, and to have an encounter that says surely not this, but this space, this place. I, I stumbled on the house of God. God is here. I've seen God face to face. And in his greatness, he is changing me. And it's out of that power that we reach out to a world because of what we're building. Because when you say this power has changed me, you want to tell other people this power changed me so this power will change you. Where did you find it? Well, it's not in a religion, it's not in a creed. But I found it in the sacred space of where you meet the Abba of Jesus and where heaven and earth collide. And life begins to flow. There's life in this place. The solution to everything that you face. And if the Celts were right, it's no more than three feet away. <coughs> I would propose it's even closer. And that right now, by the Spirit of God, you can receive what you need. Just, just let's pray for one minute, okay? I'm going to make opportunity next week for you to receive a blessing, you to receive a prayer as we particularly come around the, the communion, which is a wonderful expression of telling us how God in Christ came through the veil that separates heaven and earth and said, I want you to grasp this because if you do, it will be as in heaven, so in earth. My prayer for you tonight is as in heaven, so in earth. My prayer for what you're wrestling with is as in heaven, so in earth. My prayer for you is that you won't feel it's a thousand light years away, but that you realize it's here, it's present, and it's now because there's no wound that can't be healed. There's no guilt that can't be lifted. There's no weakness that can't be strengthened. There's no sickness that can't be healed in that sacred space. And I want you to find it tonight. So Father, right now as we're in your presence, 
I just thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your love for us. And you know that it's my prayer that for each and every one that's in here tonight, that that sacred space will be found on many occasions, sometimes down in town, sometimes sitting behind the computer, sometimes in the university lecture room, sometimes in the kitchen, sometimes in the bedroom, but found everywhere that suddenly heaven and earth are becoming one. We believe that this is what you came to bring to us in our world, and so we receive it by faith tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Thank you, Joel. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.